everybody, and welcome back to the Research VR podcast. I'm your host, Osval Abanian, and with me is Mr. Peter Luckoff. Hello, everyone. And today we have two new special guests from Trip Inc. Uh, with me is the CEO and co-founder, Nenea Reeves. Hey, how are you? And we also have the president of Trip Inc., Zach Norman. Hey, hey. And Zach's also my uh, partner in crime and co-founder. Like it. This is going to yeah. be a good group. Hello, everybody. Welcome today. Uh, we're hosting this in big screen, having our conversation in there. <laughs> and uh, we're getting to play with our new hands and, and torsos and fun UI things. Uh, <laughs> how's, everyone, how's everyone doing today? Wonderful. I'm doing great. I've had an adequate amount of coffee, so this will be fun. And this is, I think, officially my very first VR podcast. So it's great. Right. Thank you for making this happen. Glad I'm glad we're setting the trend for all podcasts to come, <laughs> all these remote podcasts. <laughs> I really think there's a future in, in using VR for, for these purposes. But um, obviously, big screen wasn't really meant for it. But we got, we got to make, make do of what we've got. Um, let's start today's episode by, with talking about some of the recent hardware news that we've come across, uh, starting actually with the, the new Windows Mixed Reality headsets. And so, obviously, you guys are, uh, Nenea and Zach, you guys are totally welcome to jump into the conversation here um, and offer insights and opinions uh, as they come. So, Windows has been showing off these new headsets that they're working with OEMs. Um, we've talked a little bit about this in the past. I think the most interesting part about the news is that Samsung has now thrown their hat into the ring. Um, right. They announced their kind of like higher resolution display with, I believe it's an AMOLED screen as well with integrated headphones. Uh, also a microphone with the other Windows Mixed Reality headsets and headphones have. that are from a AKG, so like a f AKG, yes. Um, Does it have eye tracking no. capability in it? Not that they no. said, but it has inside-out tracking, as all the headsets mm -hmm. do from Microsoft. Mm -hmm. Right, so it's kind of a set it and forget it. You put on your headset and it. Mm -hmm. But the news about this device were actually quite fascinating. I was scrolling today through the VR news, and there was like, as we call it in German, extra Wurst. So it's like. Uh, people were calling out that Samsung is once again, you know, doing something better than everyone else in VR, like they did with the Gear VR, they kind of, you know, overthrown the market. Now they have the better device for the mixed reality experience as everyone else, because surprisingly, all the other OEMs, as we discussed last time, were having basically the same hardware, just looking different. And now they, yeah, we are better, we can do it all. And it also is kind of looking like an Oculus Rift, and technically it could be, you know, the killer of Oculus, right? It looks like it has the same ergonomic features of the PlayStation VR a little bit with the weighting, which I have found to be the most yes. comfortable device out of all of them. Um, what's that German extra word Extra worst. Worst is like a sausage, so bratwurst. <laughs> and extra worst, you say, when someone is getting, you know, a little bit too much extra stuff. <laughs> <laughs> what a great term, right? <laughs> I love that. Germans have the best words. <laughs> uh, this is, I mean, this was an interesting piece of news because it's there announced at five ninety or no, sorry, four ninety nine. Yeah, it's cheap. Uh, compe competing with the Oculus Rift, I think directly. Um, although it, the access to the the content that it'll have will first start with the mixed, uh, the Windows kind of platform and and what you know the forty or fifty different launch apps that they had announced, mm -hmm. as well as Microsoft's announced that all these headsets will support Open VR, so there'll be Steam VR. 
com- compatible and accessible and, and all of that will work um, straight out of the box, which is really cool. That's right. And so what makes it mixed reality? <laughs> it depends on what your definition of that word means, right? Right. Um, I don't know. I think that's just, that's their whole, that's Windows's whole platform. You know, they call their HoloLens a mixed reality device. They call these devices also mixed reality. It just means it's a spatial computing device and that does. So ambient computing, spatial computing, mixed reality, next reality, holographic computing. They are throwing all kind of interesting terms that might confuse investors and consumers in the end. But hey, everyone wants, you know, to have their special name. Look, I think we're going to look back at this period in uh, devices where the distinction between AR and VR on a headset basis is one that's uh, that will blur and be uh, a non-existent distinction in, say, two years, three years. Yeah, I, th- I think we're all hoping for that as well, where we don't have to fiddle with these terms and whatnot. And whether it's mixed reality that is the term that stays around. Who knows? Um, But I think the fragmentation, you know, at this early stage is the biggest headache for developers. Zach and I went through a lot of that in early days of mobile game development mm -hmm. on feature phones. And eventually the standardization, though, really allowed for a lot more innovation. So was there a big distinction between iOS and Android devices when you're... This was even before that. So we were like, you know, Nokia. um, So the distinction would be anywhere from you know, 64K app limit, uh, size limits to one gig downloads. So you had to really um, optimize for each device uh, because somebody would be very upset if they bought a high-end device and got a lowest common denominator experience with that kind of range. So I'm seeing a lot of similarities in um, VR right now to those early days. And a little bit of color for your listeners. Nene and I uh, were... uh, early teams at a company called Jamdat Mobile. We were one of the, among the first to put cell phone games, um, games on cell phones in the United States. And so that's why you see that we saw that balkanized development and, and lived it firsthand all the way through the iOS Android transition as well. Actually, Zach put the first three out of five games on the iPhone too. Wow. Um, yeah, well, was well, technically sold. Zach and his team. On, yes, yeah. but technically on iTunes. Actually, it was for a click wheel uh, iPod. So. Oh, but also the iPhone too. That's true. Right? That's true. I actually remember downloading a few of those click wheel games on my iPod uh, video, actually. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's right. That was made, for, that was I, made by I, us. Yeah, I, yeah, I designed that game. This is me. This is me clapping in VR. <laughs> you play the mini. We also did. Did you play oh, the mini? Yeah, my game? friend of me had it. I was always uh, playing it in school. It was awesome. <laughs> yeah, I should have that was one of my favorite. Whoa, yeah. that's that's a really neat <laughs> neat place to have in history, guys. And it seems like we've <laughs> always you. been trend setting things. So, but one question, one question: uh, If you experience this big fragmentation yeah. b- back, you know, with those old feature phones. Technically, even though today the companies yep. in VR tend to call it differently, still this mixed reality device from Samsung support Oculus and all the other platforms. So, is there maybe not such a strong fragmentation? It's a lot easier. Just in marketing? It's, it's a lot easier than it was back then, and especially when you use platforms like Unity or Unreal. They do make the porting a lot easier. For us as a young company back then, we just figured we'd, we'd solve the problem as opposed to just deliver on the devices with the big install base. And that allowed us to really dominate the market quickly. And so I think... 
you know, our attitude was more what's bad for us is worse for others. And so let's just solve the problem um, and keep, keep innovating. Yeah, it seems like the fragmentation, I think people this time around really understand how damaging fragmentation is to developers mm-hmm. and, and they want to at least create an umbrella that they can, uh, content creators can put a piece of content and then have it kind of spread throughout the ecosystems that exist. So sure. Let's see how that'll play out. Um, so we'll keep our eyes out on the Samsung Odyssey headset. Um, Anshul Sag actually, uh, or, uh, he he's an analyst for more um, and he, was he actually just tried it out yesterday and was telling me he was really impressed by the optics the screen door effect is is way more reduced than even the rift and and so we'll, we'll report more as as we get hopefully we'll we'll actually get a, a pair of these headsets uh soon the next piece of news i want to talk about is actually the zed mini um so zed is typically not really was wasn't thought of as a vr company uh a few years ago they had a stereo rgb camera uh that they had released for both robots and drones to kind of uh basically have vision to kind of do you know slam and 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 movement and figure out where they are in the room um actually this is something that i tried recently so the z mini uh is a small pair of stereo head cameras that they're placing onto an oculus rift and htc vive and uh what it does is actually create a pass-through stereo augmented reality experience with a rift and a vive um i tried i tried it out recently it's actually very compelling because it doesn't require um any kind of other trackers it doesn't actually even require the rift uh sensors you know the the constellation tracking sensors to be in the room since the headset can do all of the track or the the cameras can do all of the um positional tracking itself but in addition to that you actually don't even need controllers or anything with a tracker or a lighthouse tracker on it because if you have two cameras that are doing you know the the, the mapping of the room it, they can also recognize your hand as being something in front of your face and in front of another object like a bullet or like a laser coming towards you so the demo that i tried was actually i was using my hand to like block these uh, lasers coming from a robot inside of the room. Actually, I think I even grabbed the book and I was like blocking things. I was like, this is really interesting. Like it felt like a really, um, uh, just a more natural experience when it comes to things. Um, so I thought that this was definitely worth, uh, a look at. And, and, and I think they're going to open up a developer SDK soon for people to start thinking about how do you incorporate a stereo augmented reality experience with any of these VR or MR headsets uh, to be able to support. So I don't know if they actually, I don't think they've talked about the Windows Mixed Reality headsets, but I'm sure they're thinking about it. Um, but it's it's pretty neat, I have to say. Way better than the HoloLens's 30 degrees uh, field of view. Um, well, I hope it will reach the consumer soon, right? I hope so too. What, do you guys have any thoughts on this? I mean, if you see a I piece think of they, these, they're going to need to make their money where they can because ultimately, I mean, they this is going to be native hardware uh, pretty soon. Meaning I think every, you got to imagine right now at Oculus, they're thinking about adding this kind of functionality into the, into whatever part of their roadmap, whether it's next year or sooner or later. Um, Because the ultimately mixed reality is where we all need to be. It's almost like thinking about a JPEG versus a PNG. 
the idea that you wouldn't have a, if you were making an ultimate uh, file format for an image, you would include transparency in that, you know, thinking from the beginning. And if you were to make a headset from scratch right now, you would say, well, of course it has to have optics and of course it has to have tracking and of course it has to have transparency. That's a really interesting way of actually putting it is, is PNG versus JPEG with, with alpha layers and transparencies. Like that right. kind of, that's a very simple, simplistic way, uh, analogy of, of how an augmented reality and a virtual reality headset would, would work. Um, I, I mean, my point of view on it is it's always hard to get a consumer to add another peripheral yeah. or accessory. And I think the most successful historically in the games industry has been the eye toy. And even then they got about, I think, and, and we can confirm this after, a 10% attach rate or conversion across uh, the the consoles. I'd be so, surprised if it was even that There's one, one yeah. thing that I would like to, you know, kind of mention is the fact that it was not very good to play with it. It was awesome, but it wasn't as convenient as, let's say, um, you know, the controllers that you use to play your games on the PlayStation. And when you think, for example, right, from the perspective right, right. of a PC gamer, people spend a lot of money on extra keyboards and extra mouses and stuff. So when they really gain something that is an advantage or more comfort, they tend to spend the money on it, but not necessarily on extra features that are not supported by many games right. because it's also a chicken and egg problem, right? I mean, why would I get the hardware if I'm not a developer? If there is no games, why would I develop games for it if there is no hardware? So kind of tricky. I think that this cycle with hardware like this is going to be educational. And in other words, yes, this company may see an exit or may create value for their shareholders based on making something like this. But ultimately, it, that cycle of software development and broad distribution is where people make money. And so ultimately, it will not see broad usage of distribution until it gets kind of integrated. I really hope, I mean, I, I think a play like this will have to be completed by some kind of an app like a merging or an acquisition into one of the major mm -hmm. headsets like another and i mean another piece of news that we stumbled on this week was it was a company called varho or varjo um raised oh yeah i'm very interested in this company they're so they're developing a headset that is it's something ridiculous in terms of the ppi that they're claiming the pixel per inch i think will be three thousand pixels per inch compared to the riffs and vibes you know 500 or almost 500 um i mean you know the 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 place for making the headsets, I think, really was like 2014, 2015 when people were coming around. Although, yes, there are new Windows MR headsets with new OEMs coming into the space. But for a lone wolf to kind of jump into it, I really, I really think about what their strategy is going to be moving forward. And it has to be something that's going to come, you know, uh, be Steam VR compatible or Windows Mixed Reality compatible, so something on those lines. Um, last week, we talked about the, the other 8K headset from Pimax that they announced. So, mm -hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. Oh, and they raised already one dot three million. On right, right, right. They're doing surprisingly well for very suspicious. It, it means if you if you can get on the Reddit hype cycle when it comes to these devices, like Kickstarter devices, you can you can definitely make some money early on, and at least give you some leeway to uh, to go. Um, but I don't want to honestly concentrate on these on this headset too much. Um, let's move on to oh. Uh, this was just as a supplementary piece of news that the Windows Mixed Reality headsets will support SteamVR by the end of this year. And that's... That's, that's a smart business decision. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, having access to the entire Steam library, I think, 
well, that, I think if you have high resolution headsets that and that are better than the than the crappy sixteen by nine monitor that you have at home, you know, if you have your headset being higher resolution, then that is itself an argument to want to buy a, a headset. And- to be honest, this landscape of devices those days is like mind blowing to me because there used to be this war between iOS and Android and Microsoft didn't want to release Office for iOS and they changed the CEO and they did it and it was a huge success. But these are two companies and now we have like Microsoft, Oculus, Facebook, we have um, Steam, we have all of those basically hardware and software and platform manufacturers and they all kind of have to work with each other so they have content and then you have some peripheral companies like Leap Motion, and they are all kind of trying to pull the pie to them, but also get their stuff integrated somewhere and make good deals. It's, it's the wild, it's, it's the wild, wild west of, of VR yeah. these days. And and <laughs> hopefully the content creators aren't the ones that are uh, <laughs> that are suffering because of that. And I, and I don't think they I'm are. Sure, they are. Well, I think that's the the question is up to to you guys, the developers, exactly. to, to answer that. What do you think? Well, we can certainly talk about that. I, I think the market is still so very small, and we're already seeing companies that were funded a bit too early going out of business or struggling because of that. Microsoft. It, well, and thank goodness, right? I think uh, at least some of these companies understand that while we're in a, a market that has at best 2 million monthly active uniques, the content developers, if they really want to see innovation on these platforms that they're investing in, they need su- to support the, the, the people creating the content and the IP that will attract the users. So it's, it is going back to what you were saying, Peter, the chicken and the egg thing applies to this as well, right? When does the market show up? Um, you know, I'll tell you something uh, from my perspective that's interesting right now, um, having developed hardware for different markets these days there are so many tools and so much infrastructure to very quickly make electronic devices and so what we're seeing right now is the fastest most evolved market for the for the delivery of next generation electronic equipment um being evolved very very quickly which means the window for um variations is very small and on top of that we don't see these markets really explode until the devices have become very consumer focused. And even the Oculus Rift is, you know, not, if you, if we look back on these devices, we'll kind of laugh. We'll go, oh my God, look how heavy they were. And they're heated. Well, they'll be like, like the big brick cell phone. Right. right? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So that I think that the teams that the platforms, I should say that will win are the ones that um, are actively consumer focused in their thinking. So thinner, lighter, less expensive, and I can tell you, we'll be there making products for those devices and, and having less less extra components to to set up the experience. Like, right, you're, you're comparing to a brick phone. Remember the first um, mobile telephone had kind of like the base and then the the earpiece, the, right, the, with a cord yeah, that runs yeah. down. So you're carrying both. Um, I guess you can make the sim- similar comparison with with trackers, whether they're yeah. the lighthouse spaces or the Oculus trackers. Sure. That's a, that's a component that the you backpack could... PCs <laughs> or the backpack. PCs. Oh, yeah. I know, <laughs> which are the most hilarious intermediary. I kind still of like solutions. them. <laughs> yeah. and, and I think installation VR places also are a big fan of those. I'll wait for the Chanel version. <laughs> of it. <laughs> it's actually a purse rather than a backpack. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's warm in the winter. 
Yeah, literally a portable heating pack. That's pretty funny. There is um, a heater. There, there is a heater based on GPUs. I will put it in the show notes. But there is a company in France building heaters that are actually running on CPU and GPU and are actually doing calculation. You can heat your office with it. And I see this is full the, VR potential. That's hilarious. My first PlayStation Three was also a space heater in my bedroom. So. <laughs> Coming to the we do. This is a small upgrade right? that they actually are pushing out to the headsets. Um, apparently, the new PSVRs are going to have native support for HDR pass through from mm -hmm. the new processor unit, um, and apparently they also have like these integrated earphones that um, they're they're adding to the headset. Um, basically, small small changes that are happening, and it's supposedly it's like a few grams lighter as well. Okay, Good things you know. All right. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't, I don't know. Honestly, I haven't been following PlayStation's VR's platform all that closely. I haven't seen new, big new releases coming out from it. I hope they still have a lot of players. They were boasting like a million, um, plus sold. So, um, we'll see where that will integrate itself into all of these ecosystems. Um, it's still very small user base though. Zach worked at Activision and, uh, and I worked at EA. I mean, it's hard to get internal support at those big game publishers for audiences that small, you know? So, um, which, yeah. which leads me, I think to the saddest thing I heard this week, or at least that I saw, which was Halo, uh, Halo, uh, Recruit is what the new mix, Windows Mixed Reality, one of the big IPs that they're bringing into Windows MR is, is something called Halo Recruit. Um, when uh, Road to VR had a video up of their gameplay kind of going through uh, the experience, which I don't honestly, I don't know if it was the full experience because what they posted was basically the stationary deck that you stand on with a almost like a flat 2D screen that comes up in front of you and you shoot these flat 2D enemies and, wow. and people were just like groaning and so disappointed at like how could this be what you're you know setting your foot forward with um I'll, I'll scrub through the video here for for us in big screen oh wow oh yeah which is like, kind of what? why is why are you why is this in VR <laughs> I have no idea this might just be the training side of the experience which i really really exactly. hope it is um and hopefully we're not you know going through clickbait and and falling for this this type of thing but uh, windows i really hope you guys uh, or 343 industries is mm -hmm. what three four three was yeah. making it i hope they're they don't drop the ball on a major ip like this um because it's, it's very dear and near to my heart and uh, i want to be able to experience that so mm -hmm. with that let's jump into our main topic um today and we're talking about trip and t-r-i-p-p -P, um is how you guys right, two p's uh yep. nanea why don't you kind of give us a, a little introduction as to i guess you guys are industry veterans in the gaming industry yes. we have worked in the games industry for a long time and uh our cto com combines uh, a lot of the neuroscience chops that we bring to the team uh and so that that composite, uh, the idea for Trip was born out of it. We've been working together as a team for a long time. And what we're focused on is creating what we like to call transformative experiences that are digitally delivered. And VR is the first method of delivery for the experience because what we're creating is a product that 
we want to help you use on a daily basis to feel better or to change the way that you feel. And so taking this whole movement that's currently happening in the meditation and mindfulness field and using the deep immersion of VR, audio and visual stimuli that are known to affect you in positive and beneficial ways. And then we combine that with what we know about gameplay mechanics that hit the brain in very specific ways. Um, you know, what makes a game fun? And I'm sure Zach can jump in and tell you a lot about um, his thoughts on that. But our, our goal with the adding gameplay mechanics, it's not a game experience, is really to create that flow state that all of us get when we're playing a great game. And can we create these sessions that are unique and can only be done in VR currently? Um, we do see a future where some of the mixed reality devices and devices of the future that we don't know about yet will bring that quality of immersion that is really what we're leveraging as the multiplier with bringing all these elements together. So essentially, in one sentence, is we're creating a service that will help you change the way you feel. Uh, How exactly there's does it work? a few things that we can talk about. Some we're not ready to talk about publicly, but um, the experience starts off with a new way to meditate. And, um, and the goal of the beginning part of the meditation experience is really to create uh, a state of receptivity to the trip itself. And then we start to transform the environment around you in a way that might feel a little like uh, a really expansive, large-scale isolation tank or sensory dep deprivation. And then we start to take you on a journey with some movement that's very gentle. And yes. Could you maybe for our audience explain what a um, sensory Sure. It's actually, tank is? you know, we're, we're based in Los Angeles. So these things are pretty common all around pretty us. Big uh, from, I think Joe Rogan. Very big. Big impact. In yep. That. They are. Yeah, Joe Rogan kickstarted yep. as a business. There's right? quite a few tanks, just, and uh, I have a lot of friends. They say, I'll, I'll meet you after I float, <laughs> kind of thing. And you hop into these tanks, and there, some of them you can even go with multiple people. And it's very dark, and you float, and there's a lot of sailing that gives you this feeling of weightlessness. Um, well, obviously, we're not going to create that in VR exactly, but there's a goal of kind of creating that that sort of floating experience. And then the environment starts to transition and bring in sounds and visuals that are um, designed to support the feeling that you selected. So they, if you selected a, a journey, a trip that you want to be calmer or chill trip, or maybe something that amps you up more energizing, uh, what you'll see and hear will be targeting those responses mm -hmm. i i actually i think the question that really like comes to mind is what sort of experiences uh that can be games or other vr experiences have inspired you um to kind of go into this uh or can i can i take this one in there absolutely so, so to answer your question and also to kind of add on what nanea is talking about if you uh for as game designers we for a long time have essentially made gameplay that we that made us feel good but the the specific feeling that we got from a given game was secondary to the gameplay 
I, we wanted to create a milieu. We wanted to be a superhero. Or we wanted to shoot a gun at bad guys, or we wanted to be in an alien context and kill monsters. And that felt good because the act of doing it was good. And the actual way the user describes the specific feeling was a secondary effect. In other words, people would take, some people would feel calm and some people would see, feel amped and some people would feel excited. And, but ultimately, we knew that there was beneficial feelings come out of it. What I think Nene is getting at is we're putting together gameplay and audio and visual elements in a new kind of experience where we're architecting for a specific response first. So, so going back to the what specifically inspired us, Zach and I and our CTO, Andrea, just made a game for fun for, in VR. Uh, we all had day jobs. Um, uh, and I was actually an early stage investor in Oculus. Uh, I'm friends with the former CEO. We worked together at a company that Sony bought for the PlayStation. And so um, he had invited me and uh, my cousin, Keanu Reeves, the actor, <laughs> actually. And, um, and I brought Zach down and we tried the Oculus and, and we were inspired to make a game. But what happened to us is we made this, we made a very simple solitaire um, game that takes place in a haunted house. You can download it on all the, all the app stores now called Trip Solitaire. And it, um, Zach actually kept having this feeling of, of retreating from his life when he was just testing our game. And when he would emerge from it, he had this sense of feeling refreshed. And then concurrently, I had a bunch of my friends over one day, um, and one of them is this young woman named Liz. I, I don't know if you ever saw her. She was in a reality show called My Life is Liz on MTV. And she said to me, oh, my gosh, thanks for giving me an experience as close to ecstasy without actually having to try it or take it. And it was that moment that... Um, I was up all night doing a lot of research on the effects of VR on the brain and the studies that have been going on for the last 15, 20 years. And I called Zach up and I said, I think there's something there that we can do that is inherently native to VR, something he had been pushing for. Um, because the thought of being a casual game company in VR wasn't that exciting to us. And, and we kept saying, what can we do that is different and, and can only be done in VR. And it was sort of those three things that inspired the idea or the idea was born out of it. And um, we're not making any medical claims currently. We will be testing while we're developing and we are working with, with a lab um, to also, you know, that's experienced with VR and uh, it's a neuroscience lab. And so we understand what is happening, but it's really our first approach is, can we create a new way to expand your awareness and, and make you feel the effects that you might from an app, like currently from Headspace, that is essentially just an audio file download. And when we can do in trip is very unique in that environment and take you on a journey that might be a, a little bit shorter, seven to 10 minutes and give you a, a feeling of like a, a tonic that might calm you down. That's our first goal. And then we want to take our toolkit and then create something that might amp you up as well. So those are our first product goals. Yes, Peter. Now the question is, what is your audience? Like 
who do you imagine will get this experience and for what purpose? Now, when you mention so much science and maybe at some point also medical, would it go more into relaxing people and helping them, you know, to maybe prevent heart attack or uh, some kind of other disease uh, caused Our by stress? Our first goal be is to the make it recreational. Um, so we'll, we'll release the app into the app stores and, and the addressable audience that's currently available in VR. We'd really like to rally those people to give us feedback on our product. That's why we were really interested in coming to talk to you. Um, and because it's really important for us to get at least qualitative feedback initially from the user base that is already there. And that's the same experience that we've had in the mobile game industry and the video game industry as well. You know, the, the gamers are, are the best at adoption of technology, but they're also great with giving us feedback as well on what we're creating. And you see that when we first started Jamdat, most of the people downloading our, our first mobile games were hardcore gamers checking out what they could do on the phone. And when we were first seeking funding, people would tell us straight to our face, no normal person will ever want to play a game on their cell phone. <laughs> and you know, and oh, so well. you know, and all of us have grandmothers who sure. play, you know, Candy Crush, and so it. Uh -huh. I think we'll see that it'll take time to get more mass market with these uh, HMDs, and obviously they have to be much lighter weight and easier to pop on and off for us yeah. to get there. But in the interim, we think that we can build a really good business, you know, by addressing the audience that's there. Uh and what kind of hardware stack are you We're using? We're working in Unity. Stack? So have you in Unity and do you ex did you experiment with any fancy VR equipment or are you just basing your main experience just uh, no, Oculus We're actually um, going to go across all devices. And uh, we want to make sure that our device uh, is optimized for mobile as well. By the time we get into market, we know that Qualcomm's chipset will be starting to get deployed, mm -hmm. the B VR native on Android. Our experience is controlled through gaze and head movement. That's why I'm always interested in eye movement and eye tracking and when they show up in the devices. We want it to be very... Hmm? Did you try the Fove? Did you try actually the Fove before? No, I haven't tried Fove it. Yeah, that's, that's, a, that's an, one of the earlier Kickstarter okay. headsets that, that, that was their main selling yeah. point was an eye, eye tracking, tracking headset. But mm -hmm. now HTC has partnered with people yeah. back, back in the day with SMI before they were acquired by Apple and as well as Toby, uh, who yep. also makes more eye trackers. So, and, and, and I think you're, you're smart in thinking a little bit ahead in terms of the second-gen headsets, but I think right. eye tracking will have to be a big part of that. Um, but not only is it an input method is to use eye tracking, but also it is a uh, analytic and, and kind of understanding the state that someone's in. Um, that's, a, that's exactly right, and you're starting to see companies focusing on emotional feedback and recognition that way. That's important for us, and we'll tap into that as it evolves. The same way that, you know, we started off making games on Nokia 64K devices, right? And, and eventually, you know, continued to evolve all the way to the iPad and richer experiences. So I see our future very similar. Um, so for us, it's just um, we do want it to be accessible, and um, and ultimately, I would like to have us be able to present Trip to the current audience that is 
using a lot of these meditation apps like Headspace and Insight, et cetera, as sort of a next level journey for them to augment those, um, you know, their experience with um, wanting to meditate. You know, I'll add one thing. Let me add one thing. I'll, I'll say this, that ultimately we look at this as an electronic tonic. Okay. And, and anybody who needs a tonic, you know, if you will, I use that in quotes, because obviously it's not in the common vernacular, but, but, um, you know, ultimately we want to replace the person who comes home from work and needs a scotch or a glass of wine to unrelax or augment it. <laughs> yeah, right. Or exactly. So that we, we believe that, yes, right now we're, we're looking at those people who are familiar with the concepts of consciousness hacking, the people who already go out and meditate, those people will get this thing right out of the box. But ultimately we're going to be, um, you know, chasing a user who needs the benefit. Right. And so our focus will be always on marketing the benefit of the application or the service of TRIP. As we develop, I am always bringing our development team back to this concept of how is it making you feel? How does it make people feel? Because we, you, the tendency always in, in product development is to kind of get into the development aspect of it, but we have to always kind of step back and go, is this helping me feel better? You know, and what's my response to it? So with that, it's conceivable in the future, one day we could be um, selling direct to consumer on devices that have our experience preloaded as well and extend beyond the existing user base. You look at like what Muse is doing um, with their device. And, um, so a lot of these things are inspirational to us. So I, I think I would, I'll take a step away. Let's take a step back from the product and kind of talk a little bit about the science that's been driving some of, some of the claims that you want to even test. So it seems like flow, I think is a big, is a big aspect of what you're trying to achieve. Um, what so what what really is inspiring you about flow and and i guess the the products that have that or the the activities that you see helping people achieve that state uh, how you know what are your thoughts in terms of those activities how is vr going to be a factor in and recreating those activities um moving forward i mean and we can be speculative in, as well in terms of you know not thinking of where the hardware is now and what the potential or who the audience is that's bought headsets today but let's, let's right. talk and we also want to kind of be careful about science and pseudoscience. And so ultimately, we want to make a, a what we're calling right now an entertainment product that is targeting a certain emotional response uh, or sense of that. Now, obviously, we'll be testing and try to quantify real impact. And if we can make some substantive claims, you know, after a few different labs can validate that, we'll certainly go down that route. But there is just universally a lot of data and science on the impact of meditation and mindfulness. And this is why you're seeing CEOs and corporations bringing this into the environments, because it does, um, there is hard evidence that it it has an effective and uh, beneficial impact not only on your health but on your performance. And and also, uh, you know, one thing I'll add too, Nanea, is that there is this growing body of science. And again, I'm not making these claims personally, and not as a representative of this company. But we hear and read about 
you know, burn victims seeing chilly environments in VR and getting really Well, I was going to get into that. Yeah, for sure. Right. So from pain. Right. And that is, um, uh, there's also, but to go back to, you had uh, asked about flow, right? The stealing fire is uh, uh, something that we give every new employee here as a book by the authors of also The Rise of Superman. And um, flow is something that video game designers have been looking into since um, the first flow book came out. Right by Mihail. Um, how do you say his last name? It's one of those impossible names with no vowels. In it. <laughs> <laughs> it starts with the C. Every game developer that we respect and admire has read that book, and um, and there's a mechanism of punish and reward that puts kind of puts you into a flow state where your skill level is just behind the skill of what's needed to accomplish the task that keeps you reaching. And that's what gets your focus and attention into a state of flow. So that's something that we look at. And then as Zach brought up, there's been 15 to 20 years of research. um, uh, As you mentioned, the cool game that has been um, uh, created to help burn victims um, uh, and the pain reduction from that. The studies that um, are coming out of uh, Skip Rizzo's lab at USC on uh, using PTSD um, uh, patient using VR with PTSD patients. Um, there's, I think, University of Houston has been looking at substance abuse um, through exposure therapy. So we look at all that, and um, uh, it's a very interesting landscape. Uh, that's coming into this area of digiceuticals. Um, so we we have a vision, a long-term vision, you know, if we can prove certain things out of going there. But in the interim, our consumer-facing product is going to be fun as uh, uh, hell. <laughs> yeah. And did you consider using some kind of... Um mobile EEG solutions or some kind of um, state, uh, so emotional state. Sure, I will definitely be using those during our own testing and looking at which parts of the brain seem to be lighting up and um, uh, uh, the combination. But I don't know that we're going to design that as a requirement for the end user experience. It's highly unlikely. Yeah, it seems like you guys are shying away from wanting extra peripheral devices to be a main part of the experience. And I think one thing Zach and I have talked about a lot is making sure, though, that you'll be able to maybe not phase one, but at some point sync your wearables to it so that we can look at um, the data collected Ooh. from that would be really interesting that we can feed back to the user as well. That's a very interesting idea. I never actually read or saw it. I don't know if you ever asked, did read something on it. I you haven't have yet. Yeah, no. We're going to do that in time to session time VR. for sure. That's got to be, that's yeah. got to be accessible. That's I mean, great idea. they all have open APIs. Yeah. So it's actually very easy sure. to um, uh, yeah. facilitate that. Zach, do you have anything to add to that too? Um, yeah. Well, well, one thing I, it, I can kind of tie something back to something in the conversation earlier. Um, Nenea said that we were both pushing to do something that only VR can do. 
And when we look at the emerging science around uh, the cool game, and when we look at the, you know uh, elderly people using VR uh, and racing games to get back like um, uh, executive function uh, and to improve, uh, you know, j- just kind of brain response Gen- in general, degenerative and, aging. Exactly. Yeah. What 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 we what we yes, what we kind of are experiencing, at least anecdotally at this point, and we intend to prove uh, over time, is that VR has this super immersive quality. And that's a word that she, that Nene and I use. We call it super immersion. And in the video game business, we used to say, oh, sorry, we have dogs here. Sorry, that's my dog. <laughs> no the dog doesn't have a headset on. The dog doesn't have a headset. That's why you can't see him. Um, so the idea here is that there are um, super immersive qualities to the platform that, that multiply the effectiveness of other aspects of things that, would, that have been tried in other platforms. And that's why we're attracted to it. Mm. So a question that arises in my mind is when, when you do end up going to, you know, testing some of these claims uh, at a lab, like what, so I, I guess, what are the different aspects that you really are interested in exploring? I think a few, you, you mentioned a few, right? Meditate, med- by meditative kind of mindfulness is, is one. Yep. Flow state is another. Yep. Um, and yep. I think earlier you you're mentioning even in terms of excitement and getting people in a state of arousal. Um, right. So those would be the first three exact things that we would look at. And there are some methods of measurement um, that are easier than others. Before and after is a lot easier than during. And so it's that during that um, uh, I I want to try to figure out if we can find a lab that can really help us with that. Um, there are some advancements in that area. Um, but irrespective of that, um, We'll be doing a lot of qualitative user testing to get user feedback on how the experience makes them feel. That's the first and foremost uh, important thing for us. And and we can go to market with that because we're not going to make any claims. Um, uh, we'll let the users speak for it. And um, uh, we can point to certain research is specific to mindfulness and and meditation, um, uh, and uh, but as soon as we can quantify something, then that might change the the profile of our company for sure. And it's interesting, but again, I go back to this core experience is unique enough that, and we're 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 pretty seasoned in software development and mobile application development, as well as console and PC products, and. Um, and I don't say that with any arrogance. It's just like uh, bringing that all to this will um, uh, sometimes you find as you develop and you start getting user feedback that a new idea emerges out of that that you weren't even thinking about. So it's just really important that we get into market and start getting that feedback because if you look at some of the most innovative things uh, are born out of that process where you kind of stumble across the better idea. And um, if we're too long in development and don't allow that process to happen, I think we cut ourselves off from um, maybe making and delivering something even more wonderful than what we're thinking. That iterative process will, I think, really be a big... So important. Um, I think there's some funny examples, like I think, um, uh, again, being from L.A., Botox was originally um, uh, developed for cross-eyed really? people, and when they when they injected it, they 
they saw, you know, the impact on wrinkles and they realized, oh, we could actually make a lot more money. It expands our audience a lot more. And the um, uh, same thing, I, I had heard that Viagra was originally intended for angina. Mm -hmm. um, and obviously, once they got it up and they were doing their tests, they saw some other uh, <laughs> responses. <laughs> well, they basically saw that a lot of uh, the older folks were looking yes, exactly. to continue. <laughs> yeah, put it. Yeah. Uh, this is this i think this leads us to kind of evaluating what uh this this genre of an experience uh, and and mm -hmm. where do you see um what are your thoughts on i guess some of the other mindfulness or meditation apps that were created in vr and and where do you see the gaps that they you know have left or, or, or you know what are your thoughts on the general space and are you impressed by it? Yeah. Are you inspired by it? Do you, do you think they're missing something really important? Well, I think that, uh, look, uh, we're in the first wave of content development, right? So a lot of us, including ourselves with our solitaire game, are taking what we already know how to do and bringing it into VR. And so you see a lot of that kind of content happening. Mm. And And again, like we found that process slightly underwhelming for us as product people and kept thinking, okay, great. We made a game you can turn around in. What's unique about this? And why would I go through all this trouble of playing solitaire, you know, to put these device and get this big rig when I can do that already on my phone? Mm. And so I think that that's how I look at a lot of what's already out there is how does this make it different for what I can already do in real life or through uh, my mobile. And I'm, I'm not seeing a lot of that. Um, the other thing too is they might be interesting as first case, like novelty use cases, but they aren't designed in ways that make me want to go back and do it again. Mm -hmm. And so I'll try it once, but it's been very rare that I've gone back and um, Zach, do you kind of want to talk about like what you, what you when you say something is a toy? Oh yeah, and what that yeah. means. So early on in my career at Activision, we well, I found it valuable to make a very strong distinction between what's a game and what's a toy. Mm. And the definition was very useful to me because in the game process and when you work in the video game industry, not everybody's an engineer and not everybody's an artist, but everybody's a game designer. Mm. Right. So everybody comes with ideas about different things. And so game designers who are kind of dyed in the wool, purebred game designers like I was have to come up with a vernacular to talk to people and say, well, all right, that idea is interesting, but let me tell you why it may or may not be appropriate for this case. And one of the things that a lot of people don't really understand the distinction about is the notion of something that is a toy versus a game. And a toy, by definition, or my definition, it might be the universal definition, is that it's a thing that's fun to play with that doesn't have rules. And a game, by definition, is something that's fun to play with that has rules. Inherent limitations, right? Where, and that's the, what Nanea was saying before. That's what creates the flow state. So a mm -hmm. toy, by definition, cannot create flow state. Now, don't get me wrong. There may be, you know, exceptions to the rule. But fidget it's... Spinner. What was that? A fidget spinner. Yes, yeah. a, fid yeah, a fidget spinner. Now, that might be an, an exception to the rule because it does actually have its own way to create flow state. Totally. But the re replayability is very low and that ultimately, yeah, you might get into it. And I'll say that it's, a fidget spinner is 
um, and I don't want to denigrate the users of fidget spinners, <laughs> but it's more appealing to a younger brain. But so are toys in general. Mm. In other words, my son, who's two and a half, loves playing with a, with a fire truck, and he can play with it over and over again because the, he doesn't need the inherent limitations of game design to overlay to create more uh, a level of flow and a level of engagement with the experience. Well, I think it, it's the you need some skill, sure, right? Sure. And and yeah. so once once you master something like a fidget spinner, um, what's your repeatability on it? Uh, right. I mean, it has its own way of feeling. That that one in particular, physical game, toys that have a physical component are kind of in a different category because our brain responds in a very interesting way to physics. Um, in a in a perhaps more lasting way than something that doesn't have physics, like let's say a toy uh, doll or something. Right. But so but that's the, exactly I, what we were saying about fidget spinners is that it's the fact that you're trying to master the physics of that. Yes. Toy mm -hmm. is what. By the way, telling. which is yeah. why Angry Birds is so successful mm. as a specific gameplay because it has the physical component that it's trying to simulate. But we could go on. We could go. I could go off on that as a topic. <laughs> this but is why we have the podcast is to talk about these these <laughs> right. elements that interact together. Yeah, right. exactly. Right. But I, but to just kind of wrap it up, um, my feeling is that we are looking at, and I don't really want to go too into the um, what percentage of our experience is going to be this versus that. But I will say this: we come to this experience as game designers, and we look at meditation and meditative like apps. To your question. Um, as as ingredients into a, an experience that's novel, and I will say this: what we ultimately will be bringing to the market, we have not seen. The no, no one is combining the elements that we're combining to create the effects that we intend to create. Oh, that's why we are so excited and invited you. Because, uh, to be honest, a lot of the VR enthusiasts out there is waiting for um, applications exactly like yours, or at least what you described so far. Right? We want to, you know, be mindful about our body use the vr to explore our mind and just do more than the hello trailer mm -hmm. you showed in the beginning us so we want to do more than just shoot it you know flat ducks in a duck shooting simulator we want to you know ex experience and extend and be more immersed and this the is exactly what you're apparently like doing and, awesome. and that's what nene was talking about before that there are not a there is not a body of native vr applications out there full stop i can climb an ice waterfall with an ice axe on a PC without VR. I can shoot a duck on a console without VR. It's now our, it's now the generation of designers of today who need to build native VR native experiences. And that's what yes. you're talking but, about. And I, I think that that'll be the second wave of content. So I don't think that we're going to be unique in that. You see this on all meaningful platforms as they evolve People start off doing what they know and bringing something familiar, but then once they get their hands into it, they start innovating new things for that device that you wouldn't even think about. I mean, just look at the migration of the mobile phone, right? The last thing we want to do on it today is talk, right? <laughs> Which was its original, That's a good original, really you know, and, and, and there's so much more that we can do with it. And a lot of that has come from the innovation of the content developers once they actually started experimenting. So I would challenge the developer community in VR to go for it, you know, because the more that they do that, the ben it'll benefit all of us. You know, that, that people will show up for the, 
they will buy the devices and 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 go through all that friction and hopefully the devices will get more you know less and less uh you know the reduction of friction will start to occur more quickly basically what makes so much out of the experience of an application if you see the guidelines how to build an app for ios or android and also how apps those days are right. built like when i would start without any knowledge how to write software those days uh, you know writing an application for my android phone i would find nice tutorials and my app would kind of look like a native android app because there's so much there and it's basically a common knowledge how to do a proper app. I mean, there are certain design changes like flat design, not flat design, but I swipe, I have buttons. The functionality is there. But when I remember the first app that I used to have on my phone or my smartphone or even Windows Mobile I used before, it was awful. And it took a long time to mm -hmm. figure out what is the best, what is, I mean, to basically, it's the core principles, core principles. but also right. takes a step where you basically remove functionality that I usually, you know, strive for. You remove functionality, stripe it down to one function, and suddenly it becomes really good, which is counterproductive to how we used to exactly. develop software back then. And now with VR and ambient computing That's and okay. holographic computing and all those terms, we need a new paradigm, right? I think I think you're hitting right. on the bundling and unbundling of features and apps from ecosystems, but I think that's a whole other conversation, and uh, we're we're that's running perfect. low on time here. I I think the last okay. thing, uh, if you guys have things to add to that, I, I'd love to. Talk. No, you know what? I, I actually do have one thing that I'd like to add. It's interesting because when I heard about the Oculus acquisition. Okay. A lot of people were saying, wait a second, Zuckerberg, why would he want to do that? Why, why VR? And I mean, my first thought was virtual <laughs> presence. Well, what we're doing right now. What, right? Exactly. That's my point <laughs> is my hat's off to you guys. Thank you because I'm having a, what I would consider a native VR experience right now. That's really cool. And so, mm -hmm. you know, these guys have hacked a system that's made for another use case and are using it for something wonderful. Thank and you I got my hats off to you. First time really cool. I Thank used you. a big screen with Azad and the podcast it blew my mind. Like, I don't see him usually because he's back in the US. I'm in Germany and I kind of <laughs> saw his mimic from the character. It was like, my brain was not able to comprehend what's happening because there's some kind of body language with <laughs> VR and I was like, whoa! Right. Crazy. That's right. And Zach still talks really loud in VR as well. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> He's the best. This will be our uh, trip is our fourth company working together. And uh, we've worked with Andrea for many years as well. So there is something to be said, too, about having that core team. You find the way, you know, you work together. It's uh, right. I'm super excited about this journey. And thank you so much for having us here. Thank you guys for joining. Um, before before we go away, you guys raised a $4 million round. Um, we did. If you guys have job openings and whatnot, I Contact think this would be a scientific great scientific uh, community oh, great. people who would like to do science with your... Yeah, so we are looking for lab relationships, um, definitely, and uh, would love to hear from those people. We are also building out an AI layer to the application. One of the qualities that we um, have is that every time you trip, it needs to be different from the last. And eventually, we want it to get more and more targeted to you, the person tripping. And so um, uh, it's important that we we get that um, uh, talent in the company sooner than later. And then um, we do want a very experienced platform architect as well that has experience with community and identity and subscription and 
those kind of things. Um, uh, it would be great if they're passionate about the space too, all of those resources. So um, yeah, we are building out and we're really grateful to the team at Mayfield um, who gave, uh, who led our, our round. This is the first money in and into our company and they gave us enough to survive a slow market because they believed in the idea. And, you know, it's very hard to raise money in VR right now because of all the things that we talked about earlier. So again, you know, it's, um, uh, they believed in the idea and they believed in us as a team. Uh, they had wanted to invest in another company I was involved in and, and weren't able to. And so it's, um, uh, Maybe it might inspire someone with a big, bold idea to go out. You can still get funding if the idea is um, bold enough. and Native uh, enough. And native. Yeah, these native out? ideas are important. Uh, they can hit us up on our website. It's trip, T-R-I-P-P-I-N-C.com. And uh, there's a contact um, uh, page in the menu item, and, and that's how you can reach us. And our jobs are posted on there, and we'll continue to update. Awesome. And and personally to you guys, Nenea and Zach, uh, do you have you know public Twitter or, or other social media platforms that yep. people can follow you on? Yeah, I'm uh, at Nanea, N-A-N-E-A, on Twitter, and uh, start start from there. Right. <laughs> I'm at Word Count. Nice. Word Count. Cool. Yes. All right, guys. Thank you again, Trip co-founders, for joining us. I am Oz Balabanyan. You can find me on Twitter at AzadUX, uh, as well as on Facebook at uh, uh, Oz Balabanyan there. Um, Peter, you can be found on Twitter at... Yes. Brazilio, Brazilio, or just search for my name, or search or for Research VR, and you will find me. That's right. We are you. You can find you can find our podcast on Twitter at Research VR Cast, Facebook at Research VR Podcast, um, and you can email us as well at researchvrcast at gmail dot com and yes. uh, let us know what you think. Review, um, subscribe, and rate on iTunes. That's we right. Love. Thank you, everyone <laughs> that has reviewed our podcast. I think we're yes. almost up to like thirty reviews on the podcast, which is. You know, there aren't that many VR uh, podcasts out there or listeners, but we, we seem to have made a dent in that. We see the numbers, um, and I'm pretty sure... Well, we see <laughs> the numbers, and I'm pretty sure that every listener out there has yet rated us. So. I think... I think. Do we have anything to announce today about the numbers, or should we keep it for next episode? Uh, let's just say. Oh, uh, we're, we're yeah, like oh. almost at 100,000 downloads. Yeah. Uh, Fantastic. That's great. Yeah. That's Congratulations. great. Close our mind. Like, we're like... This, you know, we're not doing that much work for the podcast, and it seems like it has its own life that it kind of has taken on. So, well, keep up the good work. Guys. Thank you. Fantastic. We'll promote it on Thank our. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. Yeah, Thanks. you're welcome. Bye, Yo. guys. <laughs> <laughs>